morning, everybody. So how many of you know that God has this, uh, thanks, Nick, way uh, to humble you, like, all the time? So, uh, I mean, some, yeah. So Jin, Jin did her first 21 yesterday, so I, I ran with her and, uh, you know, help her set the pace. And uh, we started a little slow, and uh, it was quite difficult because Jin, like, will go slow, then she'll go fast. So anyway, I'm running with her. So I tell her, like, we must save some energy till the end. Like, when we get to the bridge here, so we ran from Cotswold around Hillcrest, get here, like, as we come in down Old Main Road, we can really pump it a bit, you know? Anyway, she gets to the Everton Bridge and decides she's winning, the comrades, and flies off at about four and a half minutes a K. At that exact time, one of my friends <laughs> comes past me and he says a message, she's you're battling to keep up with Jin there, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I didn't even tell you about that. So I was like, well, uh, anyway, God has this way. So I am super excited about today's message. I don't know if I've been this excited about a message in a long time. I know we've just come off the back of a favor series, which I think has been hugely helpful to us as a church, and we're continuing to hear amazing stories. But with a church and the teaching that is given in a church, I think it's so healthy to have a balance between a whole bunch of things. I, I once read a, a kind of an outline, really, called The Church Dietitian. And uh, it's something quite nice to follow where you balance up the types of teaching that your church are receiving. So it's not just all weighted to one kind of thing or, or one type of style or one type of topic. So this next week, too, we, we, we're just trying to figure it out. Normally, we plan our series far in advance, but this just felt like it, I don't know, it need, it, it's got a little bit of a developing story to it. So this week is The Prodigal God. And that in itself is an interesting title because we are, most of us who maybe read the Bible or have heard of the story, the prodigal son, and the prodigal son is about the guy that kind of goes off and then the father kind of welcomes him back. That was, probably most of us understand the story just to be that. But there is so much more to the story, it's just crazy. It will blow your mind. I I remember preaching a couple years ago on a different perspective of the prodigal son, but then recently I read a book by Tim Keller which um, has also blown my mind in a whole number of ways. So are you ready for this? Yes. Is your heart open? Because this is really, I think, it's not, it's not my words. It's, it's not my skill of preaching a sermon. In fact, this, I almost decided to just put a couch there and like just sit and tell you a story. Um, but then I was like, oh, I don't know how that's going to work. So I don't want to mess with it too much. But the power of the story is is hugely significant for us today. And the story that was written thousands of years ago, I think is going to just blow your mind in a whole new way. Are you ready for it? So first of all, the word prodigal, just to clear things up, because you're saying, how can it be the prodigal God? The word prodigal means wastefully or recklessly extravagant. Do Do you believe that God was like that when he gave his son Jesus? Giving or yielding profusely, very generous and lavish. Are you now thinking maybe God is a prodigal God? Lavishly abundant. That is the actual literal meaning out of the dictionary of prodigal. So we're going to now look at the famous story of the prodigal son. And uh, let's pick it up here in Luke 15. If you've got your Bibles, let, let this be a little bit of a journey. You're welcome to bring it out. Bring out your phone. If you've got a version Bible app, don't reply to that WhatsApp or check Instagram right now because you're going to miss what God is wanting to tell you today, okay? But you're welcome to follow it on the screen or you can obviously make notes if you've got a real Bible in front of you. Okay, so let's read the story quickly and then we'll unpack it a bit. To illustrate the point further... Jesus just uh, recently told them a few other stories. He said, uh, Jesus told them this story. A man had 
two sons. The youngest son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before I die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this youngest son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About that time, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was eating, uh, sorry, even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. This guy must have been really hungry when pig's food starts to look interesting. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I, am, here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his farmer, farmer, father, who was a farmer, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Give him a, a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost but now he is found. So the party began. Awesome story. Okay, I think a lot of us would have read the story. If you've never heard of that story before or read it before, it's pretty powerful, this reconciliation between a father and a wayward son. But if you notice something, right in the beginning, Jesus is telling the story and he speaks of two sons. Okay, the point of the story is actually to compare and reference ourselves of two sons. I'll get to the second son a little later. But he, he uses the story to help us understand in a practical way, it's, it's a, a parable, what our relationship with God should look like. But to give context to the story so you understand a little bit more, when the younger son asked for his share of the inheritance early, just so you know this, the elder brother would have received, he normally got double inheritance, so he would have received two-thirds of the father's estate. The younger son would only get one-third. So you can sense a little bit of frustration. The guy's like, I'm only getting one-third anyway. I want it now. But just so you know that that was a hugely um, insulting thing to do. I mean, he would have been hugely disliked by the community um, and, and obviously very, very hurtful to the father. And he would have only received his inheritance only when the father died. But basically, by asking for early inheritance, he, he was saying, I, I wish my father was dead, in a sense. It was, it was a crazy thing to do. No one did things like that. So he wants the father's things, but not the father. And this is shocking. So much so, Ed just went, sure. <laughs> it was hugely shocking um, to the father at the time, but also to the people that were listening. I'll get to that in a moment, who was listening to the story. But what is also amazing and hugely shocking is the father's 
response. You see, normal ancient Middle Eastern fathers in those days, they generally how they would have probably reacted to that would have been like one of frustration, one of anger, one of violence, maybe even driving the son out of the house. But his response is, is crazy. And when, when he asks for this inheritance, the father said that he, he honored the request and he divided it up. It, it was, he probably would have had to sell, sell some land and when, when they speak about when he divided it up, his, his property, the, the Greek word for that is uh, bios, which basically means life or existence or his livelihood. He had to split it up to honor what the younger son was asking. So he divided his life, really. He, the, the, the state, the, 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 everything that he owned, his livelihood, his, his standing within the community, his identity would, would have been in this piece of property in this land. Like a lot of us even today, you know, often we, we put so much value on the things that we have or our home or, or what we do. It would have uh, been his standing and respect in the community and now this younger son was asking him to tear it all apart. Now remember, this story is to illustrate a picture of what God did for us. So the father uh, honors the request at a huge cost, at huge risk. The son takes all his inheritance and he goes off. And what's worse is he doesn't actually multiply it or you know, invest it wisely. He squanders it. His life's a mess. He's, as we read earlier, he, he's uh, sleeping in the pigsty, wanting to eat the pig's food. I mean, he is so hungry, okay? And he comes to this realization at some stage, like, I want to go home. <laughs> any any uh, people feel like that sometimes? I want to go home. I want to eat like a good cooked meal, you know? I know we're going to get to that stage someday where our kids are going to move out of house and hopefully they at some stage want to come home because Jin is a really amazing cook, but not just for the food, but you would hope that they miss home. One thing you need to understand about home is home is not a place. It's a relationship. What he really missed was the relationship, perhaps not the things anymore. You see, home is, is a place where you find acceptance. It's a place where you belong. And what is um, quite remarkable about this whole story is he didn't come back, the son, the younger son, and just expect to be brought back into the family. If you notice, he says this, I, I want to be a hired man. Now, not even a slave, because a lot of farms would have had slaves and hired men. Hired men lived out of the property in town, and they were paid for their wage, whereas slaves would have lived you know, on the property, would have got free food, but then they would have worked for that food. He, he doesn't want to come as a slave, but he wants to come back as a hired man, because I think you see his intention here. He wants to actually repay his father. He, wants, he, he doesn't expect to be brought back into the family, but he wants to try and repay him and make right with his father. So as he decides to return home, I think all of us are familiar with the imagery of the story. The father, looking through the window, sees him from a long way off. And instead of waiting for him to come, like perhaps some of us as parents, you know when you tell your kids to do something and, and, and you have the attitude like I told you so, you know, I knew that was going to, you know, I don't know about you, but maybe uh, you, you as the father would be saying, Yo, here he comes, this better be good because this has cost me a lot. And now he's squandered all my money, and now he wants to come back. This better be good. But remember, the imagery of this is showing God's response to us. He not only 
sees the sun, but he runs. Now, again, I don't know if you understand. I, I read a lot into this. Middle Eastern patriarchs didn't run. Kids ran. Young boys ran. Young girls ran. They even said sometimes mothers would run, but men never run. It wasn't part of their culture. So he defies everything, and he runs towards the sun a long way off, and he, he literally puts his head on the son's neck and welcomes him home. He had compassion on him. And you can see total abandonment. And in a sense, you can see a prodigal God in and through the prodigal father. He was extravagant. What he also did is before the son can even open his mouth and give a speech that he's probably prepared like for hours and hours sitting in the pigsty, right? Before he can even open his mouth, he puts a robe over him, okay? He puts sandals on his feet and he gives him a signet ring. Now today I'm wearing my signet ring. I haven't worn it for a while because, I don't know, Jin says I'm old enough now to wear a signet ring. I was like, shut, I don't know if I should take this as a compliment, but anyway. But he has a picture of uh, our Greg signet ring. Uh, you can see it up there. Um, and it says Strike Shore, uh, which is pretty cool. So my aunt gave that to me. This is our Greg family uh, uh, kind of emblem or, or, or symbol. But in today's world, I think we've lost a lot of tradition when it comes to things like this, you know. But in those days, it was hugely symbolic, the, the, the symbol or, or, or the ring and what it represented. It was basically a, a stamp of approval back into the family. Not as a hired man, not as a slave, but back into the family before he can even open his mouth. And I started to think about God's response to us when we're trying to prove something to him, give him our best speech and our good things, and he just puts a robe over us. I spoke about it in the favor series. He gives us a, a stamp of approval. And he gives him the signet ring. You see, the son wants to earn his way back, but God, in his grace and mercy through the Father, decides to bring him back. And then he throws a party. He throws a feast. I love that. Just a celebration. Now, some of us are like that younger brother. And I think when we normally hear the story, we, we think of maybe wayward people that we know, or people that have gone off, maybe drug addicts, maybe those who have been uh, you know, alcoholics or gone way off, or maybe even yourself in some ways where you feel like you wandered astray. And we identify that with the story. We go, oh, that's so nice, so sweet. God in his loving mercy welcomes us back. But even in the context and the understanding of this, we may, in and through this, feel like we want God's things as opposed to God himself in intimacy and relationship. You see, we often want the things that God provides for us, even off the back of our favor series. Be very careful that you don't just seek God for what he can give you. You see, like the youngest son, we want independence and we want to do things our own way, and this is exactly what he wanted. But no matter what we've done, I love the fact that you can come home to God. We don't have to earn it. He gives it to us. We're accepted. Now, I could end the sermon right there, and that would be amazing. You all feel so good. Because the story's done, right? There's been reconciliation. The conflict's been resolved between the father and the son. And before he can even open his mouth, the father loves him and brings him back in. There's, the family have been reunited. But unfortunately, the story, or should I say fortunately, the story doesn't end there. 
there's one more character in the story that I think many of us have missed just by pure fact that we often stop reading the story there. Or when people have told the story in Christian contexts or churches, that's as far as the story goes. But Jesus very specifically says, here's a story of two sons. It's crazy because actually in the Bible it says the prodigal son or the lost son, but that's not even in the original text. It's just a subheading. In the original text, it just tells the story. We've tried to be helpful to us as people as they've, you know, what do you call it, translated the Bible and done the transcripts to give it in chapters and numbers and give it names and uh, give it subheadings to help us. But there's one more character, and that's the older brother. Now, everyone normally thinks about the story as Act 1, and it's an amazing story of forgiveness. But if you look at the original listeners on the receiving end of the story, they were not only the Um, tax collectors and the the Gentiles, the ones that would have related to the first younger son, kind of wandered off from God or not known God, and he has a story of reconciliation. But a lot of the people listening to the story were the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. It mentions it earlier in Luke. Now, they were shocked and actually offended by the story. Maybe you might not uh, get the weight of it, but they really, really were offended because everything, think about it, everything you've been taught or heard is now wrong. The father has now welcomed the sinner and throws a feast for the sinner. You see, Pharisees were so self-righteous, it was all about doing the good things that they were welcomed by the father. And how many religions today do you see where it's all about doing all these good things. And the Bible says we're not saved by the good works, we're saved for the good works. Whereas every other religion, besides Christianity, is by the good things. And the Pharisees were no different to that. So that's why they were so shocked. They were like, here's a guy who's gone off, he's been with prostitutes, and now he's the one that's welcomed home. They were actually really offended. Remember, they got so offended by Jesus that they ended up killing him. Okay, so this was the start of the journey. So let's pick up the story now from the second part. Okay, you all with me? Some of you are saying, yeah, I'm excited now to hear actually what you're going to pull out of this. I promise you, I'm so excited. Listen to this. Okay, meanwhile, the oldest son was in the fields working, doing the good things. When he returned home, he heard heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked, asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. You maybe think that the older brother would have been a little excited, his long lost brother. Remember who Jesus is telling the story to. He says the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing a fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. 
We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost. The fattened calf um, was quite a big deal. It was, it was actually like a delicacy. It was hugely expensive. And most likely, the whole village would have been invited to this party because it was a big deal. As you can see, even by the oldest son saying, you've never you know, killed even a young goat. Meat was expensive. It was costly. And the older brother would sacrifice all of that just because of his stubbornness, really, and maybe justifiable anger in some ways when we start to see what happens, but he doesn't go into the party. And he misses the fact that this is probably one of the greatest days of the father's life. The father is so excited. He's run out to the son, he's embraced him. He thought his son maybe had died. Son has come back and so much so he throws on this like lavish feast. It's like I'm going all in, kind of like a wedding. We went to an amazing wedding yesterday, by the way. Sky and Jolene got married, which was just so special. But a wedding is a big deal. You don't kind of just throw a party like that all the time because one, it's special, and two, it's expensive. You know, it's a big deal. And this older son is missing his father's joy, his father's excitement, so much so like he's thrown a huge party. It's expensive. This is the greatest day in the father's life. The party shows that. But the older son doesn't care. All he is worried about is his insurance, his inheritance. He cares about the father's things, but not the father. He cares about the state. He cares about the fattened calf. And the father in his love and mercy says, but everything I have is yours anyway. The two, I gave the one-third away. The two-thirds, when I pass on, is all yours. He was the only heir. But this older brother sees his inheritance just diminishing away. And again, Jesus is telling the story as a, as a picture of God. What does the father do? The father could have been angry again at this hugely disrespectful act by not coming to the party. But the father says, I still want you at the party. I still want you at the feast. Regardless of your attitude right now, I still want you here. How does the story end? This is a bit of a cliffhanger moment. Jesus leaves. It's like a mic drop moment. We don't know. That's the end of the story. Amen. Some of you are saying, no, Hilton, please don't leave me here. Like this is, what else, what else are you going to say? That's where the story ends. But you see the brilliance of Jesus' storytelling. Because he gives such an interesting parallel of two sons, and he just leaves it with the people to ponder and think. We don't know if the older son went back into the party, because it's actually up to the individual himself. You see, Act 1, the first part of the story is kind of like a, a traditional picture of sin. It's like, yep, I understand this. He insults the father. He, he goes off with prostitutes, squanders the money. He's in the dumps. He's self-indulgent. He realizes and recognizes that he is, he's a sinner, and then that's sin. Okay. Act two, the second part, Jesus turns the tables. Remember, it's two sons. 
He's the good one. He's done all the good things on the outside. So you've got one good, technically, and one bad. But they've both been alienated from the Father. They want the Father's things, both of them, but not the Father. They're using the Father. One did it by being bad, and one did it by being good. He even said, I've never disobeyed you. So it's his righteousness that has alienated him. Now I'll explain that in a moment. You see, the younger is trying to get control over the father's things and his inheritance by leaving and disobeying. But the older is trying to get control by staying and obeying. But they're both lost. Because it says he has a story of two lost sons. They both don't have a relationship. Well, at the time of trying to get control, they both didn't have a relationship with the father. And you see, with these two kinds of parallels or pictures, it's hugely significant for us today because you can escape God through immorality and irreligion, but you can also escape him through morality and religion. You see, many of us feel like, oh, I'm a Christian. I go to church. I do the right thing. I'm, I'm good. And because of that, you owe it to me, God. Hey, I'm saying my favorite prayers here. You owe it to me. He may be your God, but he's not your savior. See, the elder brother, he obeys, but also to get the things from God. But what about the fact that did the older brother stay because he just wanted intimacy with the father? He wanted to know the father. You see, the younger brother comes back, he repents, and he's reconciled, but the man who kept all the moral rules is lost. And the Pharisees listening to this story are like dumbfounded. Are, they, are, you, are you talking, to, are you saying that to me? Like you can imagine them trying to figure that out. Like It's a comp complete reversal of what they'd ever been taught. The guy with prostitutes is saved, but the good guy is now lost. Like, are you joking? I'm the good guy. And, and we have that same ideology, I think, as Christians. We think it's the good people that get saved. Sorry, the bad people that get saved. And the good people, you know, we just already saved. But we're still lost. I hear so many people all the time saying, yeah, but he's a good person. He must be a Christian. He must go to heaven because he's a good person. I always find that statement quite amusing. I know, I mean, there is a sense of goodness in all of us because we're made in the image of God. But how can you ever tell if that person is a good person? If you're judging the outward things, maybe, sometimes. But no one knows the inward stuff going on in the hearts of man. The, the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all else. And every single one of us, none of us are exempt today. It doesn't matter how good you are. We all need a savior. Romans says that we all fall short of God's glory. You see, repentance, and Colin uh, preached a great message on repentance at Open Chapel a couple of months ago. See, repentance is not just repenting of sins, all the bad stuff, but what about repenting of the reason you did anything good at all? 
So you've got the tax collectors, you've got the sinners listening to Jesus. They're loving the story. And then you've got the Pharisees and the religious leaders. They're hating it. And you see it in today's world. You've got left and right just going in complete opposite directions. I mean, no one can agree on anything anymore. Eh? When you look at social media, you're like, my goodness, God, we have got such a long way to go. It's just, how's it going to ever be possible? You see, you've, generally when it comes to spirituality or life or exploring life, you've got the self-discovery type of people, the people like, I will figure it out for myself, I'll be whatever I want to be, I just want to live it and, and, and see it, and I want to find my true self, my true identity, kind of, doesn't matter if I go off on my own path, but then you've also got the people on the other side, which is the moral conformists, who believe that they, they're going to stick to the principles they've been taught and, and you know, moral conformity and, and, and I'm going to be good and I'm going to comply and I'm going to do all the right things. But you both lost. And you know what's crazy is both groups will tell you how you should live. Everyone will try to get you to agree with the way that you should live. Sometimes quite aggressively actually. But you're both wrong. You see, the gospel of Jesus and why Jesus came, and this is where it is going to punch you right in the gut today. It is so powerful. Through the story, Jesus was telling them that they are both welcome home. But they both needed to understand that they were lost. And Jesus ends the story without a real resolution. But he starts to hint at something. He wants us to see that something's missing. Like some of you today are going, okay, but, but now what? How? Just three things God does in and through the story. He shows us his love, which is awesome. And the father goes out and he loves him. Two, he shows us to repent of sins, but also it's our self-righteousness that we actually need to repent of. And then... Three, he starts to hint at something. He wants us melted and moved by the cost to bring us home. Now, for perspective, if you look at a few verses before this story, Jesus tells two other stories. The story of the lost sheep and the lost coin. I don't know if you heard it, but lost sheep, very simple. It's gone, someone goes out and finds a lost sheep. Another story is the lost coin and how the person searches for it and finds the lost coin. But in this story, nobody goes out to get the lost son, the first lost son. Who should have gone, actually? Do you know the culture of those times in the day, it should have been the eldest son's responsibility. He, he was, it was very significant for him to actually bring any uh, resolve when there was dispute, especially between family members. It was the oldest son's responsibility. The oldest son, it was actually his job he should have gone out and brought the younger brother home. I mean, but it was also his inheritance at stake here. So, so when he should have gone out and, and stopped it from being all divided up. Because remember, he probably would have to sell some land. So he should have done something about it. But maybe there was a sense of self-righteousness in him that just let it happen. 
But when the father brings the younger son back, it wasn't free. Somebody had to pay. And in the story here, the younger son gets a Pharisee for an older brother. I've been hinting at that all along. But all of us today, who the story is really all about, is we all need a true older brother. And Jesus is the true older brother. Notice I used the word elder, because when you use the word elder, it actually refers specifically to family as opposed to older. Did you know that? I Googled that. I spoke about the older brother earlier, and he almost didn't want to even be part of the family. Jesus, the true elder brother, in Luke 19, 10, it says this, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. But listen to this. Jesus doesn't get the royal robe. He gets stripped. He doesn't get the feast. He gets vinegar in his mouth to numb the pain. He doesn't get the ring. He gets a crown of thorns. But Jesus freely gave all of that to us. It was costly for Jesus. See, Jesus is not the elder brother who will just go to the next town to find the lost brother. He'll come from heaven to earth. He died for us. You see, when you look back in the story, the elder brother uses words like this. He says, he was angry and he says, first of all, he doesn't even call him father. He just says, um, you've, you've kind of just brought the son back into the family. You, you just let him come back. He, he's angry, he's frustrated. He also says, this, this son of yours, he almost like excludes himself from the family separates himself because there's such sometimes you think about it justifiable in some ways he's, it's his inheritance at stake he's angry he's frustrated he's hurt it came at a huge cost to the older brother because when he put a robe and a ring on him someone had to pay and it was him and he didn't want to pay the price but thank God that Jesus becomes the true elder brother. That he took the cost for us. He died for us. You see, we have to be moved by what he did for us, the cost. We have to understand that if we don't ever reconcile that or fully grasp that, we'll either identify with one of the two sons, the one of self-discovery or the one of moral conformity. And I love the fact that Jesus, as he died for us and gave it up for us, it was hugely costly to him. It was extravagant, it was prodigal. And there is a feast and there is a party that awaits all of us if we decide to walk in.
You see, when you have a party, when you eat, you not only feel at home, but I mean, food is, food is fuel, it fuels us, but also around a table, there's a huge sense of joy and excitement and laughter like last night at the wedding. And it's a glimpse, in a sense, of what that one day will look like when we feast together, when we understand that we've been saved by the true older brother. And one day, God will welcome all of us home. And will we be truly satisfied? I believe so. But if we put our hope and our expectation into things, into things that we do, being self-righteous in many ways, and Christians have put so many people off God and the church because we have this pharisaical mindset. We stand at the front doors of our church, not literally, but we judge people. What is it that is going to shift your heart today? You say, God gives us many things to enjoy, for sure, like our families and our jobs and our relationships and career. All those things are amazing. But we will all still be lost if we don't accept the true elder brother. If it's not God, it's not home. If you don't understand this today, you'll never find home. And at our coffee shop there, you see the saying, welcome home. It's not a physical building, but we speak about this being a spiritual home to many. And if we take the time to look deep into this parable, we will all see ourselves in it. And we'll see the reckless love of God. We're going to sing this song, Reckless Love. And uh, the band were meant to be up a while ago, but they missed the cue in the back. While they come on up. Did that speak to you? Yeah. It's powerful. And uh, there's so much more to the Word of God than we even think or know. And I just love that about the Word of God, that we will always be learning. And I think our heart should be if listening to the story of Jesus today, saying, God, do what you need to do in my life in and through that story. You will identify with either one of the sons in some way. Maybe sometimes not to the extremes because those are extreme stories. But we all need the true older brother who came to seek and save that which was lost. It's not our righteousness. It's not the good things that we do. And I love that if you're here today where you're listening to this online and you've messed up and you've done some things that you really feel deep regret and pain and hurt and guiltful, I love that God welcomes us home. Free to us, but costly to Him. Someone had to pay the price. And today we can all be free because of the true elder brother.